Our finance editor, Charles Farrell, is a nerd. I love talking about banks on this podcast. I mean, I love talking about banks, period, but I really love talking about banks on this podcast. I think that's amazing. And we love hearing you talk about banks on this podcast. It's just, a, it's just fantastic. Charles has been nerding out a lot recently because the country's been going through a major banking crisis. Last month, the government took over two banks. And on Monday, it took over the 14th largest bank in the country, First Republic, and then sold it to J.P. Morgan Chase, the biggest bank in the country. It's like a python eating a garden mouse. I mean, the, the, you barely see First Republic passing through the gigantic body of J.P. Morgan. It just kind of like disappears into the, the giant maw of J.P. Morgan. What does that say about J.P. Morgan's role in the U.S. banking system? J.P. Morgan, the bank, has really emerged as the kind of preeminent bank in the United States. So a lot of banks in the post-financial crisis era have tried to do a lot of different things. And J.P. Morgan is one that has, is the one that has emerged with a tremendous amount of stability, a tremendous amount of earnings power, ability to make a ton of money, and played as a kind of rescuer to the less fortunate in the, in the banking universe. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. Coming up on the show, America's biggest bank just got bigger. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. So J.P. Morgan is the biggest bank in the country. Tell us what that means. How big is it? J.P. Morgan has $3.7 trillion. That's trillion with a T in assets. It does all kinds of stuff. It has a huge trading business, so it trades securities. It has a gigantic lending business, so it lends money to people and to companies. It has a massive, massive retail franchise, obviously the Chase franchise is everywhere. It is really the dominant bank in the United States. And tell us about its CEO, Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon is de facto the kind of elder statesman of the banking industry, and, and partly that's because of who he is. He is a deal maker but also because of what J.P. Morgan is and what he has built J.P. Morgan into. He talks a lot about the fortress balance sheet, and you sort of imagine a, imagine a giant medieval fortress with like turrets and walls and moats, and except all of it's made of, made of money. So it's, it's a big money fortress. Um, and he is not shy about using the strength of that fortress. And so there are tremendous advantages to scale and size and solidity and having a ton of capital and all of that stuff. In the 2008 financial crisis, Diamond used his bank's size to acquire two failing banks, Bear Stearns and Washington Mutual. And this March, 
he got called into action again. The government had taken over two banks, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And all eyes were on a third, First Republic, that looked like it was close to collapse. To stop that from happening, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called Diamond, who kicked off a rescue attempt. J.P. Morgan and a handful of other banks joined together to put a $30 billion deposit in First Republic. So functionally, what happened there, there were tons of people wanting to take their money out of First Republic. First Republic needed to give them money, and First Republic needed money to give them. Oh, goodness, we need some money. We need to replace the fleeing depositors with new depositors. These banks gave us $30 billion to do that. The other piece of it was a sort of confidence boosting thing and a time buying exercise to say, okay, we, the big banks, think this is not a critical, critical situation, not an acute situation. And that worked. That piece of it worked. Generally speaking, things calmed down. It didn't solve First Republic's problems. First Republic would still die, but it did delay that process long enough to stave off further chaos and and upset. What was Diamond's overall message at the time about why J.P. Morgan was depositing that money and the sort of state of the financial system. It was very much about the financial system and less about First Republic. It was very much that the purpose of doing this and the purpose of putting money in here was to demonstrate that the financial system was in a broader sense healthy and strong and that the big banks would come to the aid of their smaller peers. And it was meant to sort of show solidarity and solidity in the broader banking system. So he's sort of sounding like a regulator or something himself. In a way, the thing to remember always about banks and the banking system is that it's a super competitive business. They're all competing for deposits. They're all competing to make loans. They're all competing for customers. They love rich clients like a hyena is chasing down. You see a rich antelope running across the field. You'll see like six banks chasing after it. So they're super, super competitive. But at the same time, they all know that if that sometimes fragile confidence in the system flips, they're all in deep trouble. So there's both a competitive aspect and a collective aspect to banks, and this was the collective aspect coming through. So this $30 billion deposit was to buy time. Correct. For what? To buy time to wind up First Republic, in effect, to find a buyer, their bankers, you know, fanned out to dozens and dozens and dozens of possible buyers. Um, the thing that they were trying to sell and what attracted people was First Republic has a big franchise with rich clients. They have mortgages of rich customers. They have wealth managers who handle their assets. These are really coveted clients. And so the sales pitch was, hey, we've got a really enticing menu of customers for you to buy. And this menu of customers was appealing to J.P. Morgan. But at the time, buying First Republic wasn't really an option for them. The reason is that J.P. Morgan is already extremely big. And the government does not want too much concentration in the banking system. And it does not want the too-big-to-fail banks, the really, really big banks, to get too much bigger. And there are limits on what proportion of deposits banks can have. And so J.P. Morgan just sort of outright buying the thing in a kind of private market transaction was probably not a viable option. But that all changed last week. First Republic released its earnings, and its financial state was bad. Like, really bad. 
As soon as the earnings came out, it was publicly clear what I think had been privately clear to a lot of people, which was this bank has no future. The earnings showed that First Republic's business was broken. The $30 billion lifeline wasn't enough, and it looked like the bank couldn't find a buyer on its own. So late last week, the government stepped in. It was a, like, this thing is a carcass, let's portion it up. And find somebody willing to pay for it, because paying for a thing that is losing money is not something that anybody wants to do. But the government says, come, look at this carcass. Yes. Feast your eyes. After the break, what that feast looked like. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. When it was clear that First Republic was failing, the government needed to find a buyer and fast. So it opened up bidding for First Republic, and four banks submitted bids. So there were several bidders, J.P. Morgan and PNC and Citizens. Citizens and PNC are kind of in the next tier down, large regional banks. They are big, sophisticated banks, um, but, but they don't have the size or the heft of J.P. Morgan. So it was banks in, in that universe. And the winner... First Republic had been teetering on the brink of collapse for months, and this morning, it has a new owner. First Republic Bank has been taken over by federal regulators and sold to J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase will take over deposits and most assets belonging to First Republic Bank. That's Why did J.P. Morgan win? From a kind of legalistic standpoint, the FDIC is required to choose the best bid, and the best bid was J.P. Morgan's. Why would J.P. Morgan want First Republic? Great question. J.P. Morgan has lots and lots and lots of things, um, as as we've discussed. But when you kind of look at their super high-end wealthy business, um, they would like more of that. Chase Bank is a higher-end banking franchise, but First Republic was like one notch more gilded. You go into a First Republic office and there's lots of like, you know, marble and green jade or whatever it is. And First Republic had a high-end clientele of the kind that J.P. Morgan wanted. At the end of the day, that's the answer. And not a thing like Goldman and Morgan Stanley and some of the other big banks have rich customers. Of course, J.P. Morgan has rich customers also, but like, there's a little bit of like rich catch-up that could happen here. Ah, okay. It's a nice, nice way to get some more rich customers. And on Monday... Uh, Jamie Dimon has a call with investors in Wall Street. What was his message? 
his message was that this was a good deal for his shareholders, that his obligations to his shareholders, and he did a good thing. This is a good thing for us. There's still some good meat on the carcass. Yeah, there's good meat on the carcass, but didn't like lean in too much into how good the meat was, because probably the meat is better than they would want to publicly admit um, for fear of of sounding like they got too good a deal. But it was kind of walking that line. And then what did he say about the larger banking crisis? He sort of put a bookend in this chapter of the crisis. No crystal ball is perfect, but yes, I think the banking system is very stable. And said, okay, the thing that happened in March, we're done. There may be other things coming, but we're done with this. This part of the crisis is over. If the government has been concerned about big banks getting bigger, how does this square with that concern? It doesn't. It doesn't. This is definitely a big bank getting bigger. And there's no kind of way around that. And I think the analysis would have to be that this was, the, from the government's perspective, the least bad option. But it is, it is not, from a regulatory standpoint, not a good thing to see a big bank getting bigger. But not a lot of other choices. Does it mean that the banking sector is less competitive? I think that's been a trend in the banking sector for a while, that the big banks take up a larger share of deposits. It's difficult for smaller banks to compete. That's the general direction of travel, and that's the thing that has regulators worried. You know, one way to to look at this and to think about this is is how much profit J.P. Morgan makes, Um, because you can sort of see that as like, well, if they're making all this profit, in some sense, it means there aren't others who are able to come in and offer better price products that would entice consumers. Yeah, J.P. Morgan made 12-plus billion dollars last quarter. Quarter. Quarter, 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 quarter. That's a lot of money. Yeah. What do these events say to you about J.P. Morgan's position in the banking system? Is J.P. Morgan a savior or a smart vulture or...? It's both of those things, really. It's a vulture savior. Vulture is probably not the right word, but it's it, it definitely having a bank of the size and scale of J.P. Morgan made this easier for the government to resolve, but also made J.P. Morgan even bigger and more powerful. Not massively, but it did hand it a bunch of additional profit, additional size. To you, does the... J.P. Morgan takeover of First Republic mean the banking crisis is over? I think we're done for a while. Um, I'm choosing my words very carefully because undoubtedly I will be wrong as soon as I say them and something else will pop up. I think the interesting question is where else besides the banking system might some of the same problems that happened in banks crop up? Um, So there are other places in the economy to look Other than the banking system, I think the banking system has had a good look over the last six, eight weeks. And the biggest problems have been flushed out. Not to say there won't be others that might be flushed out, but but it's worth turning attention, I think, to some places beyond the banking sector for the for the next uh, the next phase of excitement. Charles, thanks. It's fun talking with you about banks and also wild animals. Kate, it's great. We should just do a banks and wild animals special, like a sort of nature nature program podcast series. It'd be awesome. I'm down. Let's talk.
This episode has been updated. A previous version incorrectly said that First Republic was the 15th largest bank in the country. It was the 14th. That's all for today, Tuesday, May 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by David Benoit, Telus Demos, Ben Eisen, and Rachel Ensign. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.